The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Open your Bibles, if you have one, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 12. We're going to go through verses 15 through 30, talk about kingdom power, and we're going to talk about the supernatural uh, this morning. And um, it's a very uh, important message. It's a very timely message. And, um, you know, God's Word, we're going we're to talk about what, what does it mean to hear the voice of God? Not just for me, like as a pastor, a minister, uh, or an evangelist or whatever, but, but for you. What, what, is, what does it mean for a child of God to actually hear the voice of God? So let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, and we, I do pray, we pray and ask that we might hear the word of the Lord, that you would take your uh, word and, and that it would come alive, and may you speak to us. Yes, collectively, we can all hear a message, we can all learn and go through some lessons and life application together. But there is another level where you have promised, I will speak to you personally, and that we, each one, each child of God, has a capacity to hear the still, small voice, as it is called, and that is the living God and our Creator and our Heavenly Father, our Daddy, who loves us and adores us and did everything for our salvation, including sending His Son from eternity in heaven to the earth, and through the miracle of incarnation to step into and experience the story of being a human being, but is the only one to live a perfect, holy, sinless life, and then to show us the way, the truth, and the life so that heaven came out of your mouth every time you opened it, Jesus, and heaven and the kingdom came through your hands every time you extended them to bring salvation and healing and deliverance. So may the church hear what the Spirit would say to her today. We ask it in agreement in Jesus' wonderful and mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So for, you know, those who weren't here last week, the story was that Jesus is, you know, he's doing a lot of healing, and, but on this particular uh, time, he healed somebody on the Sabbath, (laughs) and the religious leaders freaked out about it. Um, Now, there's no law in the Bible or that God gave to Moses that says you cannot heal on the Sabbath. In fact, there's almost no delineation of, you know, the Sabbath. It just says, just don't work on the Sabbath. That's all it says. But then to interpret, well, what does that mean, and what's work, and how far do you have to, you know, you walk before it becomes work? They made hundreds and hundreds of laws which were man-made, man interpreting that simple little law where God said, take one out of seven days and don't, you know, relax, rest, and enjoy fellowship with me. So one of the things they came up with is you can't heal people on the Sabbath in their minds. Uh, And Jesus specifically does healing on the Sabbath to make the other point, no, I'm telling you, my dad in heaven, when he sees suffering and pain and hurt, he is moved with compassion, and he will heal, even on the Sabbath. So that was what was going on, 
And so at the end there in verse 14, some of the religious leaders, not all of them, but some of them plotted against Jesus. They couldn't deny the miracle, but they're like, they were against him and how they might destroy him. So plant this thought in your mind. This is the plot that will eventually turn out to be the, the rejection and the crucifixion of the one who turns out to be the Messiah and the Savior. But then in verse 15, but when Jesus knew it, okay, there goes my enemies, they're plotting. He knew what was going to happen. It had been foretold and prophesied. And when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. I want you to underline the word withdraw, because in a moment I want to talk to you about there's a time for you and me to withdraw from conflict. So, uh, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. So here's life lesson number one, because I'm always, you know, we want to look at Jesus, what he said, what he did, but then we, we want to look at, so what does that mean to us here today? What's the life application? And I want to make this application that we can learn from Jesus. There is a time to confront, confrontation, speak the truth in love. And Jesus did that daily and constantly. But I also want to add that there is also a time to withdraw. There's a time to just back away from a conflict for a time or a season. So in spite of the rejection of the religious leaders, also notice in verse 15, the people were in love with Jesus. They, they followed him, and he remained God's faithful servant. But when he knew that his enemies plotted against him, he withdrew. So for a time, Jesus withdrew from the opposition against him. Now, there's many applications on this. Um, you know, there's all kinds of people that will be against you, be against your family, they're against your business, they're against, you know, it's, it's various ways. And we always want to fight for what's right and ours and justice and so forth. But there are times when it's wise to step away from that kind of direct conflict. And why did Jesus do that here? They're plotting for his demise. He already knows prophetically that's why I came, is to die for the sins of mankind. But he did not want to let the enemy circumvent the right timing. Timing is everything. You want your life to be according to God's plan and God's timing, not your enemies. Can I hear an amen on that? God's timing is everything. And so therefore, there can be times where we need to step away from that kind of uh, conflict. So let me put it another way, very simply. There is a time to confront. There is a time to fight. And there is also a time to withdraw, a time to retreat, to fight another day or in a better situation. And as I was reading that and studying that and, you know, thinking of all of you, I believe this is a word of divine wisdom for some of you specifically here today. And, and you're thinking because, you know, you've got a good heart and you're tr wanting to do the will of the Lord and you're just, you're just fighting and it's like, but you know, one of the strategies of the enemy is to wear us out to where we finally just say, man, it's not right. This is not fair. I just keep fighting. And, and every time I win one, boom, something else pops up. And now I got to keep fighting. He wants to wear the saints out. So we need to be walking daily uh, and, and realize, yeah, there's spiritual conflict going, but I, I just need to follow dad. I, I've got a father. He's got my whole life planned out. He knows the end. 
he wins. He's going to be vindic- he's going to be glorified and vindicated. And I don't want to let the enemy take me out when it's not my father's timing or plan for what he has in store for me. So divine wisdom is a word for the Lord that maybe, you know, God's not asking you, well, how are you doing, brother? Uh, well, just keep grinding away. How are you doing, sister? Uh, you know, it's, I, I just keep grinding and grinding. Well, maybe God doesn't want you to grind. Maybe God wants you to just take a step back and say, I'm not, I'm not in, I'm going to take a step away from that. You know, you guys can fight amongst yourselves. I'm staying back. I'm just going to just be blessed by the Lord. Can I hear an amen on that? So there's a word in the, in the Psalms, uh, when you're reading the Psalms, it says every once in a while, it's not an English word, it's a Hebrew word, and they don't translate it into any other English word, it says silah. Have you seen that in the Psalms? Silah. And then the Hebrew, what that means is stop reading and performing or thinking or if music, it's like, it's like in music where there's a dramatic pause. You have this melody and then you have the chorus. And then really, really good music will have everything draws to a, just a moment of dramatic quiet, which sets up for the next round, and then you're ready to just go into it. So at times, God wants your life to have a silah. Everybody say silah. Just back away and rest. I think that's a good word, especially in August, in the heat, middle of the summer, taking a break. But great multitudes still followed Jesus, and he healed them all. Notice Jesus responded to human need with compassion. And the press of the crowd did not make Jesus either impatient or angry. So that's verse 15. Now let's go on to the next life lesson, verses 16 through 21, learning to hear the voice of God. We read in verse 16, and yet he warned them not to make him known. He's telling his disciples, you know, so don't come out so publicly every time about who I really am. He wanted to wait and reveal himself in the timing of the Lord, uh, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. All of this about, notice it starts in verse uh, 18 with quotes. Behold, exclamation point, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased, exclamation point. That is God, the Father, speaking. And the beloved servant is the Messiah, none other than Jesus. And it's wonderful. And Matthew is quoting this. By the way, Isaiah wrote those words as a prophecy 700 years before Jesus was even born in Bethlehem. The Holy Spirit came upon Isaiah, and he was writing the Word of God that would describe how you would know when finally this beautiful, precious person called the servant of the Lord would appear. And that is the voice of God. Um, So how do you hear the voice of God? I recently had someone uh, close to us ask, so how do you hear the voice of God? 
And so I wasn't quite sure all that they, well, um, you know, and, and so I was trying to start to answer this. It's so like, because you keep saying you hear God talk to you. I'm like, yeah. And they go, well, what? I've, I've never heard God talk to me. What does God sound like? Is it like really a booming voice with a lot of reverb or, you know, how does that? And I started laughing and I realized what they meant. I go, no, I, I don't hear the booming voice with a lot of reverb or whatever. It, it's within my own thoughts, but the source of it is not me. And they go, well, how do you know? I said, because basically this is how I hear God. It is through his word. It's through the Bible. When I read the Bible, I said, you know, as you're reading the Bible, and I go, there's like all these great truths, uh, not only great truths, but 7,000 promises in the Bible, like, for instance, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so she goes, oh, yeah, I, I've heard of that. I said, so when you read it, if it's something that God has said and put in his word, these are not words that God just said and they're old and gone, but God's word lives. He is called the living word. In other words, everything God has ever said is not only true in the past, it's a now word, it's true now, it's alive now, and it will be alive tomorrow. Amen? Amen? But here's where you activate it to become a living word is when you, in your own thoughts, you let it be personalized. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes one of God's ancient words and then he makes it come alive to talk to you right here, right now. I will never leave you, my son, Ray Bentley. I will never forsake you. I love you. And so any of these things, and, and so this is how God talked to his son. Behold, my son whom I love. Well, you know, as you're reading that, uh, yes, you know, we read and we study, wow, God really, really loves his son, Jesus. But guess what? Now that you're born again and have the spirit in you and you have become God's son or you have become God's daughter, guess what? You can hear and activate where he says, behold, I love you. I am delighted in you. I am so thrilled that you opened the door of your heart to my son and my spirit has come inside of you and now you're mine and I want to love and bless you forever. Isn't that amazing? It's awesome. So what I want to mention here is this, uh, these verses that are a quote are actually from Isaiah chapter 42 verses 1 through 4. I wanted to put it, this little comment in your notes. The prophet Isaiah in, beginning in chapter 42 and all the way through chapter 53, if you've never heard this or no one's ever told you before, these are a series of chapters that give dozens of prophecies and words about what the Messiah would look like, and they're really obviously describing Jesus. They're called the suffering servant passages, really the servant passages. But this servant who mysteriously God is saying, I'm sending him, he's going to come, this is what he's going to be like, this is what he's going to look like. And, and a big part of it is not only the servant is that he, he serves the will of God and he serves the need of humanity. He will lay down his life like a Passover lamb and even be willing to suffer and be broken in order that we human beings might be healed and made whole and brought into salvation. So I just wanted to encourage you, maybe sometime, you know, in the month of August, what remains of it, uh, if you've never done this, read through those 
uh, chapters and especially look for the servant and, and what God says about the servant and see how it talks about Jesus. And these, when you really start reading these passages, this precious, beautiful, greatly beloved servant who will become the Messiah will reveal things that will be done by this servant that could only come through the Messiah. For instance, the atonement of sins, that he will come and bring salvation and the way of salvation for all of mankind, every nation, every language, every kindred, and every tribe who will believe in and trust in this servant. He will bring forgiveness. He will literally take the burden and the yoke of sin and shame and guilt and fear and death and remove it and bring forgiveness into your life. And then that he will bring healing, healing to your spirit, healing to your soul, even physical healing. By his stripes we are saved, and by his stripes we were healed. That's why the Lord is still healing people even today. And then in verse 18, he says, I will, this is God speaking, I will put my spirit on him. So that's what's happening. Matthew is recognizing, man, this Jesus of Nazareth and these miracles and these healings and all the people that followed him and he healed them all is a demonstration not only of Jesus' divine power that he, he comes from heaven and from the kingdom of heaven, but they also demonstrated a divine love and compassion. In other words, Jesus, every healing he did was to reveal the loving heart of the Father, which is continuously going out, especially to those who are hurting, those who are suffering, those who are burdened, those who are persecuted. And and so if you are hurting, if you are suffering, if you feel broken, God is moved. He he is drawn to those who are broken because he is a God of love and a God of power. And there's nothing he loves more than to fix what is broken, to renew what has perished. Amen? Amen? Then in verse 19, another interesting thing that Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah is that he will not fight or shout. He will not quarrel nor cry out. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus never spoke loudly on occasion, and when it required it, he did. And sometimes he would raise his voice. But what this means is the tone of his words. It means that when you hear the voice of this servant, the Messiah, who would be Jesus of Nazareth, in his voice you will hear the gentleness of God, the gentleness of the lowly heart Uh, the humble heart, and through his actions of God the Father through the Son. And then again in verse 20, it says, And a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. This is another reference to the gentle nature of Jesus. There, There are many people that are afraid of God. He's big, he's powerful, he's speaking, and, you know, thunder and lightning and the universe and all of that, and they're afraid of him. But I am here to tell you, based on the revelation of the Word of God, there is no person and no one in the universe and beyond the universe more gentle than God. And when He deals with that which is weak and that which is fragile and that which is broken and that which is bruised or that which is the flame is almost out, 
No one is more gentle than the Spirit of the Lord, and He will always deal with you in tremendous gentleness. A reed is a fragile plant, and yet if a reed is bruised, the servant of the Lord will handle it so gently he will not break it. Uh, Flax is used for a, a wick in an oil lamp, and even if it's lost its flame and it only smokes, he will not extinguish it. Instead, he will gently nourish it and fan it until it sparks and becomes a flame and becomes light again. What I want to share with you this morning is that the bruised reed and the smoking flax represent human beings' lives that are broken, that are hurt, that are worn out, that are ready to be discarded by the world. And God sent His Son, the Messiah, to walk among the streets of men and women and to find every broken reed or bruised reed and heal it and every smoking flax and light it back into flame. Oftentimes people feel that God deals roughly with our weaknesses or our failures. And I want to say on the authority of the Word of God, just the opposite is true. He deals gently, tenderly, helping them till the bruised life is strong and the smoking flax becomes a flame. Why? There's a reason why. Because Jesus sees value in a bruised life, which means that God the Father sees value in a broken life or in a life that is almost extinguished. Did you know that a shepherd, when he's out in the wilderness and with his sheep and he's by a river and there's some reeds, he will go up and use a broken reed and then he will put it between his thumbs and then he will put it into his mouth and he will begin blowing on it. And guess what he does with that broken or bruised reed? He makes music. That's what a shepherd does. A shepherd will use a bruised reed to make music. God wants to take our bruised and broken lives and put it up to his mouth and breathe on us and breathe into us and through us and fill us with this beautiful and precious song that even the angels are in awe of. So praise God. Many of us are like bruised reeds this morning. We need to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, as Paul said in Ephesians 3, verse 13. All right, let's go on to the next set of verses, 22 through 26. Something happens all of a sudden right here, right now, and the basic uh, life application is don't be naive, which is a nice way of saying don't be foolish. Evil is real. So beginning in verse 22, it says, so then... One was brought to him, Jesus, who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and Jesus healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons." But Jesus knew their thoughts, and he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. Every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? So Jesus heals this guy, and, and I want you, you know, to see, at least in this instance, not in every instance, but in this one, the physical conditions were affected by the spiritual 
possession that had taken place. So Jesus displays his power and his authority over demons and casting out the demonic powers. It was so quick. It was so sudden. It was so immediate and so powerful that even his enemies could not deny it. They could only challenge that, well, the source, he must be doing it through, you know, the prince of demons or whatever. But notice in verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. Now, you might look at that and go, well, okay, of course, he's Jesus, he's Messiah, Spirit of God's on him, so he knew what they were thinking. But I want you to know that's not necessarily something just of the divinity of Jesus and his relationship with the Father being one with him. But did you know that is a gift that Jesus exercised that is also made available to you and I who are believers now? So that's why I put this scripture, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 and 8. Uh, let's, this gift of knowing what's going on in someone's mind is given a name. It's called the word of knowledge. So let's read this out loud. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. That word of wisdom or that word of knowledge is really that Jesus knew what, what, they were, what was going on inside of their heads. This is a gift that is given even to believers to this day. And I believe that there are some of you who have experienced it. You never maybe knew that it was actually listed in the Bible and that it is a gift but if you have the Spirit of God who knows everything, now it doesn't mean you can read people's minds and all of that nonsense, but what it does mean, a specific time and a specific situation for a specific reason, because you have the Spirit who knows everything anyway, and you're in a confrontation with a situation that is demonically energized and needs some divine help, God can give you all of a sudden, and you don't, you know, it's not like you work it up or there's something. It's all of a sudden, you, you just know. I know what's going on in their heads right now. It's like you see it, you perceive it, you know it. It's, a, it's just one piece of information that God gives you to know that then you can pray, Lord, give me wisdom as I confront this situation or this argument or this debate or whatever is going on. So when I share this, what I, so Jesus knew what was going on. He knew what they, were, what they were thinking. I want to say to you that we're not to be naive that the spiritual realm is real. So I'm just saying very as simply, directly, and bluntly as I possibly can, yes, I believe that there are, there's the whole angelic realm. Two-thirds of them, the Bible says, remain loyal and faithful to God. Tragically, before mankind was ever created... There was a rebellion in heaven of this class of angels. And by the way, angels are above us. Man was made a little lower than the angels. You and I are not, we are no match for an angel. Either the faithful angels or one-third of them rebelled against God, and they, their leader is called Satan, the adversary, who apparently was an archangel. He was way, he was up the highest level of angels. And, and he just, he wanted to be like God, so he rebelled and a third went with him. And this, this is, is very real. And I wanted to mention this because I was just talking to a friend of mine this last week uh, who ministers to, you know, in a lot of different circles who have groups of churches and denominations and non-denominations globally around the world. And he said to me something very interesting this week. He said, Ray, 
of many uh, mighty men and women of God and people whose names you would know and recognize as large impact ministries around the world have all recently been saying the same thing to me. They have never in their lives, and these are mature leaders, never in their lives seen so much spiritual warfare and opposition as we are experiencing right now. And, uh, you, you know, you see it in the world. I was just looking at uh, one of the guys that, you know, he was a young man, and he went in and he just started killing all these people, and you're going, what in the world, what was going on, or whatever, and they showed a little two-minute clip, I can't remember which of the news services, and they showed him being interviewed, and what were you thinking? He's talking to his brother, and he goes, man, these voices were in my head screaming at me day and night, telling me where to go and what to do, and that I was worthless, and the only way to vindicate, go after these people and take them out. I'm I'm just telling you, as I saw and listened to that, it sent a chill up and down my spine because I went, man, this is this is demonic. It was it was demons. I'm not saying that every situation is like that. I know that there's mental illness, people can be chemically imbalanced and so forth, but I'm also telling you the spirit world is real. I was a teenager and I was raised in the church. I started off in the Nazarene Church and the Wesleyan Church. I read the scriptures, went through, you know, Navigators and Campus Crusade for Christ, discipleship, and I knew about spiritual warfare, read Ephesians 6. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but quite honestly, I'd never met someone who had a demon. My whole young growing, until I was 19 years of age, and I was in, living in a house ministry, and this girl ran to the, the house ministry called the House of Sums, and she goes, I need help. My brother is demon-possessed. And she was freaked out. And so I was like, oh, man, you know. And I asked, well, is he like on, does he have drugs? And, oh, yeah, drugs. But she goes, this is at another level. And I will never forget when I went with several of the people, you know, guys from the house and, and, and sisters, to pray, so we said pray, and I went in, and when I walked into the room, I am telling you, there was something beyond, you know, physical, mental, emotional, I've met a lot of different situations, people, but I, I knew my spirit felt the presence of evil and darkness, and it was a personality, and that guy that was there, he, he focused on me. And he came up to me, and because I'm trying to test, is this, maybe it's just the drugs, maybe he's got mental problems, whatever. And so I was like, Lord, how do I test this? And, he, and I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and he said, open your Bible and start reading about when I went to the cross. So I opened my Bible, and I went to one of the Gospels, and I started reading about the cross. And he started screaming, and this stuff started coming up and out of him. And I, man, the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up. I was like, okay you know, this is real. And he literally had matches and he, would, he was lighting a match because he was, he was insane, angry, screaming at me, stop reading that book. And he would light a match and he was trying to throw the lit match onto the pages of my Bible as I'm standing there to light my Bible on fire. And he would light it and it would flame and he would go like this. And as soon as he tried to go toward me, his arm would go way over here and throw it, you know, onto the floor somewhere. So everybody would go over there and stomp it out. And then he would strike another one and he would end up and it would throw. It was like, all of a sudden, I, I realized, wow, Lord, your word is true. You've exposed what's really going on. I got the button. He can't touch me, dude. It's real. The power and the fire and the glory and the protection of the Lord is with you. 
Now, I won't go into all, all the details, but you, then, just like in the Bible, in the name of Jesus, commanding that spirit who yelled and kind of like a little, you know, went through a fit of begging and pointing and this and that, and I said, out in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, I know the exact moment when that demonic spirit left and I saw the power of God, the deliverance. And the next thing you know, he's, he's laying there peace and his eyes open. And he goes, I am glad that thing is gone. So it is real. Don't be naive. Now, look, right now, the, the enemy, he brings people, look, psychological warfare. He comes against believers sometimes. And so if you ever get into a situation where the enemy is attacking you mentally and psychologically and accusation, all this weird stuff, and I've had, you know, as a pastor over the years, I got a bullseye on me, right? So I know the enemy at times comes. So here's what I do. When I know it's the enemy, you know, you have a wicked dream and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, and the enemy. So you wake up, I turn the light on. I go, well, I know you're here. So dude, you're getting a Bible study. We're going to read. Let's open to the gospel right now, baby. We're reading it. And I can, I, I can feel and hear them scream, ah, you know, they're gone. They don't like that. Then I get blessed, read the word, and then they're gone, and then I fall into a deep sleep. So anyway, I'm just saying that this is real. This happened with Jesus. They saw it, and they're arguing with him. And, and I want to go to verses 27 through 30 and say this. We're wrapping it up now. Only the power of Jesus Christ can deliver us from all evil. And I want to say that one of the things that the enemy will try to do is isolate, and and listen to me, especially, well, all ages, but especially millennials and young that are, all the pressures, you guys are dealing with stuff that we never had to even deal with. I, I don't know how you do it without the Lord, but I want you to know this. The enemy will try to do psychological warfare on you, And he wants you, he can't do it. He can't personally kill you, but he can make you kill yourself or try, you know, psychologically. He's like, you know, so you have to, that's why the Bible says that we need to have a renewed mind. That's why your brain needs to be washed in the rivers of the living water cleansed by the truth. You need to remove the lies and put in what's true because the truth is more powerful than the lies and makes the lies run off. Can I hear an amen on that? Do not let the enemy rip you off, lie to you, isolate you, get you alone, and then he wants you to, he'll try to get you to destroy yourself. So, beginning of verse 27, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? And therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And then he will plunder his house. And he who does not gather with me, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters abroad. Jesus is trying to get everybody on the same team of the same mind in unity and agreement with the truth with him at the head. So Jesus asks a question based on their wrong premise that he was operating by Satan's power. So Jesus says, well, if that's true, then how do your exorcists cast them out? Ancient Jewish exorcism operated in a a kind of a 
religious fashion they, by the use of herbs and magical formulas, and their results were meager at best and insignificant. But all of a sudden, man, Jesus shows up, and they're exposed, and they are removed undeniably, instantaneously, supernaturally, un, you know, right there in front of everybody. And so Jesus says in verse 28, I cast out demons by the Spirit of God. And therefore, so and he's talking, then he talks about this strong man. That's an analogy. What Jesus is trying to tell us human beings is, you guys, okay, you're human beings. You're made in God's image, very special and precious. And by the way, one day you're going to rule and reign with, with uh, my father and I in the future. But right now you're made a little lower than the angels. The whole angelic realm is much stronger than a human being. You are no match. You don't take on the devil. You don't take on demons in yourself. Um, so, but then Jesus says this, but in that realm of the supernatural or the strong men, Jesus says, I am infinitely stronger than that strong man. I knock him out and he must yield and bow to my word and my will every single time from now through all of eternity. So Jesus took on the devil mano a mano, person to person, 2,000 years ago, and died on the cross for us, and then because he's holy and pure on the third day, rose from the dead, he conquered death, he conquered sin. And legally, in the court of heaven, Jesus totally disarmed the devil, the devil from the cross and the resurrection. For those who go through Jesus, the beloved son and servant of the Lord, he legally, 2,000 years ago, won the legal right. The enemy cannot bring one accusation against you for eternity. So you run to Jesus. You hide in him. You be clothed in the armor of his light, his glory, his presence, his spirit. You let your mind be renewed with the truth, and you pull out the lies, and you bring every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Amen? Jesus makes it clear, I am not intimidated, nor am I under Satan's power. His message is, not only am I not under Satan's power, instead, I am proving here today I am stronger than he is by casting him out of those whom he has possessed. And the fact that I have successfully invaded his territory is proof he is bound and powerless to resist me. Jesus is also saying, I am plundering the kingdom of Satan one life at a time. And there is nothing in our lives that ever needs to remain under Satan's domination ever again. The one who will plunder the strong man and bring healing and deliverance and bring us into heavenly glory is none other than our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.